welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Who's got their license here? It's not a trick question. Driver's license? Yeah. Uh, When I was 16, 9 months, back in the day, back when I was young, you used to be able to go for your driver's license when you were 16 and 9 months. You have your learner's permit for 3 months, regardless of any logbook that you had to do. There was no logbooks back in those days. They just kind of gave licenses out. Uh, And when I was 16, 9 months, on the day I went for my L's, and then 17, on the day I went for my my driver's license, and uh, I failed. My first driver's license. You can go, oh, thank you. I failed. I just wrecked my whole birthday. So if you're, you're going for your license, maybe don't plan it for your birthday. But I, I failed my, my, my driver's license. I was so eager and so like keen to get my license because as a young person, I saw that when I had my license, I had freedom. Because I could get away from everyone, I could go wherever I wanted, and in my heart I had this expectation that when I get my license, I'm just going to drive everywhere. I got freedom. I'm driving everywhere. I, 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 you know, I determined that I was going to drive to like Mekithara just for the fun of it. I drive to Brisbane. I would drive to to Ellenbrook. It's pretty, you know, a bit further than Brisbane. I was going to just drive, get in my car, reverse down the driveway, and then just check the mail and then drive back up just to drive because I just wanted to drive because driving meant freedom. Then I got my license and I started driving, and I realized to drive. You need fuel. And so my dreams of driving, driving, driving became a dream of driving to a bus station, catching a bus everywhere, and then driving back home because I couldn't afford the fuel that I needed to put in to drive because driving costs and fuel is expensive. Back in the day, it was like 60 cents a liter. Yeah, come on. There was a lot of, a lot of gusto in that. It was just like cheap. It seems cheap now, but it was so expensive. I didn't want to drive because I had to pay for fuel. And so as a young adult, as a young person, I actually worked out that, that you, could kind of, you could kind of just drive your car a little bit more than you think you can. So you know on your car, there's a fuel gauge. And at the top of that fuel gauge, there's a letter. The letter says F, and it stands for full, right? At the bottom, there's an E, and it stands for extra. The E stands for extra because everyone knows this. When you get to the E, there's always a little bit extra. There's always a little bit more. And as a, as a young person who didn't have a lot of money to pay for fuel, I actually worked out how much extra I could get. I could drive for a certain amount without having to fill up because I could just run on extra. There are some people in this room today that have mastered running on extra extra you know how much fuel you can get out there's a guy in our youth ministry Tyler Whitfield he doesn't even have a fuel gauge he's 21 and he just listens to the sound of the fuel being consumed as he drives to kind of work out how much more he's got but he's running on 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 empty quite a lot now I say this now because I see it in the church I see it in Christians that we can get to a place where we we actually get to that place of emptiness 
where we're dry, where we're running on empty, and see, you know what? I can go a little bit more. I can get a little bit extra. I can just go and keep going and keep going and keep going. But I want to tell you this morning that, that if you do that with your car, there will come a time when you, when you break down, when your car will just stop and you'll be stuck on the side of the road somewhere because you've run out of fuel. It doesn't necessarily happen like that to us in life when you're following Jesus. There is a tank. It's almost like the tank of the Spirit that, that we have. And when, when we're running on full, we're, we're, we're living in this place of flowing, this abundant place where God's Spirit is manifest in our lives. But then we come to that place almost where we get dry, when we get empty. And then, you know what? It doesn't always just stop there and your life just breaks down and you just have a total breakdown. Sometimes you can, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you can just break down and that is it. And God has to come and restore and rebuild. But a lot of the times we actually get into this, the bottomness of the tank, we get to the empty place and we hit this second tank, not the tank of the spirit, but the tank of self. We, we tap into the tank of self and we run on self, self-righteousness, our self-energy, we run on self-ishness things become about us. It's not that we just stop in life. It's that we, we go into this place where it's no longer about God. It's more about how we can just get through and get by and do what we want. And it's in that place that we come to this dangerous space of tapping into sin and living in the place where we're just dry and empty all the time. I believe God wants us to live from a place of fullness, not emptiness. To, to be full of His Spirit. Have you ever read the Scriptures and, and, and looked at the language that God uses when He speaks of, of giving? When He says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. I'm not going to drip it scarcely. I'm going to pour it out abundantly on all flesh without reserve. I'm going to give. I'm going to fill. I want you to be full. So I want to come today and just say to us, we don't have to become masters on running on empty. In fact, God wants us to live from a place of fullness where it's not just full for us, but we're flowing into the lives of others. To be filled with His Spirit, His life, His oil. And this morning I want to read from a, a parable that Jesus teaches, talks to His disciples in Matthew cha uh, chapter 25. And uh, I want to ask the question this morning, which is attached to this, because there is a price that is attached to the fuel of God. Here's the question. Who's going to pay for my fuel? Who's, this is not an offering talk, by the way. Who's going to pay for my fuel? There is a price that is attached to being filled. And I'll, I'll, I'll clarify my language in this. We've gone through the book of Galatians. We know that we're not here to earn God's favor. We're not here to, to, to strive but, but there is a price that, that, that is attached to being filled. You see, everyone in this room has access to the same Spirit, to the same amount of the Spirit. But not everyone in this room is going to have the same experience with the fullness of the Spirit. What's the difference? Some of us are prepared to pay the price, to position ourselves in a place where we can be filled with His Spirit. Some of us won't. Here is a tragedy. Some of us in this room may not be in this room in a year's time. I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to be serious and, and, and to, to tell you the truth. I, I've seen many Christians come and I've seen many Christians go. What's the difference? 
Some just got tired. Some didn't want to pay. Some didn't want to access God. Went into that place of self and just kind of stayed there. I tell you today, you can be someone that is filled with the Spirit. Your life can be full and abundant with Him. Not talking materialistically. I'm talking about the Spirit, the presence of God, the person of Jesus. You can be filled with Him. And the difference is, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to get in that place where it's you and Him and and He can fill you? So Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read this. It's a parable. Uh, Verse 1, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids or, or virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the five who were wise... The other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Everyone say extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish one asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Matthew chapter 25 comes after Matthew chapter 24. Another trick question. Well done. Matthew chapter 24 is, is this place where Jesus is actually teaching the disciples. They ask him a question. And they say, what's it going to look like? What are the signs that you are going to be coming back, your return? And then he, he speaks in, in what is the longest passage that Jesus teaches about the, the end times, the times, the signals, the signs that he is going to be returning. He gives them this, this, this outline of all these things that are going to take place before he comes back. Then Matthew 20, chapter 25, we see that he tells the, the disciples three stories, three parables. So in Matthew chapter 24, he's giving them context. He's explaining to them, this is what's going to happen. And then Matthew chapter 25, he starts to give them pictures of what this is going to look like. Important to see there at Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like... Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. So Matthew chapter 24, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be signs. There's going to be these things that are taking place. And then at that point in time, at that time, this is what the kingdom of heaven will look like. It's not that the kingdom of heaven changes, but the dispensation or a revelation that God gives us of what the kingdom looks like is increasing as time goes on. And it will be fulfilled when, when, he, when he comes, when we, we, we go to be with him. He gives them this understanding, he says, at that point in time, when we start to see these signs, this is what it's going to look like and this is what the kingdom will will be like. This is a a passage on eschatology. It talks about the end times, about the signs of Jesus' return. And uh, it's important for us to look at this. I don't know if you've noticed what's happening in our world right now, but it's not looking great. And the modern church possibly isn't too you know, excited about preaching stuff on Jesus' return. 
Hey, that's a bit old school. I've heard that before. <clears throat> you know how old school it is? It's as old as this book. Jesus is coming back. No, you're crazy. Like, he's been saying that for years. You know what's crazy? Let me tell you what's crazy. Next week, you're going to worship and you're going to remember a God who took on flesh, was born, conceived in the womb of a virgin, and at his birth, there were stars that led people, angels. There were. The whole thing is crazy. If you look at it from a perspective, an earthly perspective, but Jesus is coming back and we have to be ready. He says, this is what it's going to look like. And then here's some parables, here's some stories. And each one of them points to this. You got to be ready because no one knows when it's going to happen. And you don't want to be caught out. You got to be ready. So I'm here this morning to say, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to return? And it's not about, you know what, when I know he's coming back, then I'll get ready. It's about living in that place of readiness for him to return. Being ready right now for him to return. So he gives this outline in these parables and he starts to teach about it. In these parables, he talks about himself as the, the bridegroom. And then he talks about himself as the, the master. And then in the, the third one, he talks about himself as the king who will execute judgment. In this time, the kingdom of heaven will look like this. The bridegroom, the king who executes judgment. When we read Revelation, we get toward the end of Revelation. What what are the pictures that uh, God gives John in the revelation of Jesus? The bridegroom, the king who will execute judgment. This is not a coincidence. This is Jesus saying that at this time you're going to be looking and ready and there's going to be a revelation that the bridegroom is coming. Are you ready? The king is coming and he's going to execute judgment. We celebrate the first coming of Jesus next week. Excited. He, he offers this, this gracious period for us to respond to him. But there will be time coming when, when that is no longer there. When Jesus returns and then the response of where we go, where we spend eternity is determined on what we did with Jesus. People say, I want to choose heaven and I, want to, or I, want to choose, I don't want to choose hell. You know, that's not the, not the option. The option is you choose Jesus and then your choice of Jesus determines where, where you go, where you end up. You can't have heaven without Jesus. So he's preparing them and he's telling them, this is what's going to look like and this is what it's going to be like. So be ready, be ready. And in this parable, I see these, there's three kind of keys to it. Three prices that, that are paid by those who are called wise that put them in that position. The first is this, the price of the prolonged promise. The price of the prolonged promise. In Matthew 25, he says there, Verse 5, it says, When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Five are called foolish. Five are called wise. All ten became drowsy. All ten fell asleep. 
They weren't called wise because they stayed up all night. They were called wise because they had enough oil for the delay. The ones that were called foolish had enough oil for the night. The ones who were wise had enough oil for the delay. The prolonged promise. I am still yet to see the instantaneous promise of God in someone's life. I see instant miracles. I see Him working in instant moments. But the promise that He usually gives to us is attached to a process. We step into the process that brings about the promise. And in the, the, the walking out of the process, He gets us ready to hold the promise. But maybe we don't like the process. We want the promise without the process. We want the promise right now. If you want to follow Jesus well, you've got to be ready for the delay. Think about this. He's talking to his disciples, and this message has been preached for years after. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. 2,000 years later, he's coming back. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Where is he? Some will not hold on to the promise that he's coming. Some will, will, will grow weary in the waiting. Some will walk away in the waiting. You know, in that waiting room between what he said and what you see, it's often in that place where character is developed, where integrity is developed, where faith is developed. As we hold on to and we wait for him to bring about what, he, what it is that he, he's doing in our lives, it's in the waiting some of us will get a word from God and he'll say something about breakthrough that's coming. And, and if it doesn't happen within the first two months, the first two years, then we get weary and we walk away. We give up. We let go. But it's in that place that God wants us to grow in dependence upon him, not upon what he can do for you. To become dependent upon him, you know, in that waiting period, we can get discouraged we can get disillusioned. But I think he wants us to get developed and to grow in dependence of him. It's in that space when we stop looking at the promise and we fix our eyes on the promiser. Because we see that at the end of the day, the promise will always be an extension of his heart anyway. And he's only there to show us who he is and to lead us back to him. So we hold on to the promiser, not just the promise. But we want it now. We want it instantaneously. We want it right now. We like the, I don't know if you go shopping. Can I walk past here? And you buy food. But if you go to the shops, you'll see that when you buy food now, there's two, two kind of uh, ways of cooking. There's the old people's way. With fire. And there's this baby. The microwave. And isn't it, isn't it just not with... Uh, Food, but isn't it with life now that we just want everything microwaved? 
Can I grab my Bible? We want, we want God's Word, but we want it right now. We want it instantly. I tested this for three seconds. We want God's Word. We want His promise, but we want it right now. God, now. I'm microwave, microwave my promise. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to wait. I, I can't wait. I don't have the patience, the endurance. But if you read through the Scriptures, you'll see that, that the church is actually commended Christians are commended in Revelation for patiently enduring, for being able to hold on in those moments, for being ready to pray the, pay the price of holding on to the promise that hasn't yet come. What set these, these, these uh, foolish and these wise apart was the, the wise were prepared for the delay. Are you ready for the delay? COVID happens can't come together for six weeks the church falls apart you look nationally at, at what's happened since people have come back to church attendance uh, people following Jesus has sim- seemingly dropped why we didn't have enough oil for six weeks are you ready for the delay what happens if something else comes Are we ready? Are we prepared? Do you know how to get oil for yourself to access the presence of God, holding on to the the prolonged promise? Next point. Is this. It's the price of protecting the precious. The price of protecting the precious. When the foolish, the foolish, they realize that they don't have enough oil, they, they go to the, to the uh, five wise ones and they say this, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. Now that doesn't sound like a very Christian thing to say. Wouldn't it be more of a Christian thing to say, hey, we've got this amount of oil, let's all put it together and then distribute it evenly so that we've all got oil. They say, can you give us some of your oil? And they're like, no, because if we gave you our oil, then we wouldn't have enough. The thing that sets the, 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 the wise apart in this story is that they saw the oil as precious. They saw that this was what what was differentiating. This was the precious gift of God to them, the oil of God. And so they protected it. I ask you the question, how do you go with uh, protecting the precious deposit of God in your life? He has given us His Holy Spirit. Is there anything more precious on the earth than to become a carrier of the Spirit of God? And how do we go with protecting that? with guarding that, with looking after, looking out for the Spirit within us? Are we living with one foot in the world? One foot in Christ? Mixing and blending? Or do we see that we actually carry the most precious gift that has ever been given, the Spirit of God, 
and that how we live can protect that precious gift? Or do we treat it as common? Do we, do, we, do we just treat God as a common thing? Because if we don't see the preciousness of God in our lives, we come into this dangerous space of substituting. Substituting the presence, the person of God with something else. You see, I don't want to be a critic, but kind of observe some stuff and see that, that the kind of modern trend in, in Christianity is there's been a trading of reverence for relevance. In, in, in order to try and become relevant to the, the world, we've become irreverent to God. We've treated that which separates us, that which distinguishes us as common and discarded it so that we can kind of fit in and kind of reach. But, 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 but the mistake that we make is it's the thing that sets us apart that the world needs. The world doesn't need more smoke machines and flashing lights. The world doesn't need shinier lamps. The world needs the oil of God that will change people's lives. So as a church community, how do we steward, how well do we guard, how well do we protect the preciousness of God in us? I'm not talking about being stingy with, with what we've got. I'm talking about guarding the goodness of God. That we don't mix. You look through the, the New Testament, you'll see that, that much of the correction that comes is cultural mixture. It's that you, you've now been set apart. You're a new person. You're a new creation. But you're still living in a fallen, broken world. And if you're not careful, uh, what we see in the church throughout time, throughout the scriptures, is that there was a blending or a mixing with the, with the common culture. The Corinthians were, were horrendous with this. Even one point, Paul, Paul says to the Corinthian church, the worship of uh, you know, false gods through prostitution, through sleeping with prostitutes, temple prostitutes, he, he says, how can you mix the body of Christ with a prostitute? How can you take that which is holy and pure and mix it with something that is unholy and profane? And yet we could do that. We are at the risk of doing that if we don't understand the preciousness of God, of just how precious He is, that we then treat Him as common and we drag Him and mix Him with everything. When I had my first child, uh, driving home from the hospital was one of those experiences that you kind of like, Every single instinct in me to protect that little baby in the back of the car came out. Can you show my car that I was driving that day, Trev? Coming back from the, back from the hospital, it's like every kind of car that comes near, just pull out that little sniper rifle, start to, to scope out. Why? Because there's this precious thing in the back of my car and so I adjust the way that I drive. It makes me conscious of what's around me it makes me act differently, live differently. But if I was just like, now? <laughs> I just like throw chips in the back? Just be quiet. It's a little bit different. Treat it as common. But that preciousness of God, I, I want you to see that, that it is precious. You know, there were, there were generations, our ancestors have looked forward to the day when they could face-to-face -face see Jesus. 
Hebrews talks about the, the, the uh, heroes of faith who believed and longed for the fulfillment, the promise, but didn't. And here we are in this dispensation of grace experiencing the risen Jesus. Don't treat it as common. Don't take that for granted. The living God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, he formed you and now he's revealed himself to you. Does that not blow anyone else's mind? Or do we just get, you know, oh, yeah, I know that. I've been a Christian now for 46 years. Of course God chose me. They were prepared to protect the precious. And here's the last thing. It's the price of personal pursuit. The others replied, we don't have enough for ourselves. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. We need oil. Oil symbolic of the Spirit of God. Oil symbolic of the presence of God. Oil symbolic of the person of God. And I see that you got some oil. And I'm running low. Can you give me some of your oil? And what seems like a, a, a bit of a strong comment is like, no, go and get your own oil. Can I tell you that you cannot get oil from anyone else in this room? You cannot receive oil from me. You cannot receive oil from your spouse, from your parents, from the person sitting in front of you or the person sitting behind you. Oil, the oil, the presence comes from God himself. And so this is actually quite a, a profound statement that some of us may need to take hold of because people are coming to us for oil and we're trying to give them oil, but you can't give oil. The best thing we can do is say, hey, go to the shop and get some for yourself. Not being mean, not being rude, but saying the only place you can get it from is if you're willing to pay the price of personal pursuit. If you yourself are willing to pursue Jesus, He will fill you. But I can't fill you. The pastor can't fill you. And the difference in this story is that some of them were willing to pay that price, and then, then some of them were like, yeah, we better do that. But by then it was too late. The price of personal pursuit. It shows us as well that, that we can't hide in the covering of the church. But Jesus, I went to Grace Life and you saw everything they did. Jesus, I, I had my own chair. I sat there every week for 36 years in that chair. You saw me, but I didn't know you. It's not on the merit of your church. It's great to be here. But it's on the personal relationship that you have with Jesus. And what differentiates is those who are willing to pay the price. What does that look like? The price of coming to Him. The price of, of perhaps it's like waking up a little bit earlier. 
Perhaps it's opening the Bible. Perhaps it's just putting yourself in a place where you can worship, where you can be part of community. The, the willingness to position yourself in a place where he can speak to you. I want to take that, you know. Don't come to me, go to him. The, the, the best thing you can do is to point people to Jesus. That's the, the, that's the greatest thing we can do. Don't try and give them oil. Don't try and, try and give them secondhand revelation or oil. Point them to Jesus. Come here. I'll show you how to do it. And this is what set them apart is they knew how to do it. COVID happens. We find out who knows how to get oil. Persecution comes. We find out who knows how to get oil. Suffering comes, we, know, we find out who knows how to get oil. And sometimes it's just the fact, I don't know how. I've got the hunger, I've got the desire, but I'm not sure. And we can help people, walk them to the shop, take them to the shop. Here is Jesus. Sit with Him, dine with Him, allow Him to fill you. Can we have some? Sorry, you've got to go and get it for yourself. The call to us this morning is to get oil for ourselves. Don't rely on the pastor. Don't rely on the worship leader. Because if there's no worship leader, can you still worship? If there's no prayer meeting, will you still pray? If the pastor doesn't preach, will you still read the word? If, if, if there's no more small groups, will you still meet with other Christians? If the church doesn't run an outreach, will you still know how to share Jesus with your neighbor? Because we can become reliant on the structures and the processes and the place rather than being dependent upon Jesus for ourselves. The price of personal pursuit. And I've heard Pastor Josh say this once, that God doesn't just respond to our emptiness. He responds to our thirstiness. Because you can be in this room today and you can be like, man, I'm so empty. I'm so dry. I, I, I just have nothing left. I have no passion, I have no zeal, I have no, uh, I'm just dry, I'm empty. Or you can be in this room today and say, I'm so thirsty for God. I'm so hungry for God. I want to be filled by God. You know, there's a difference between the two. And God's not bound to respond to our emptiness, but He loves to respond to our thirstiness. He loves to respond when we're like, God, I'm so, I, I want to be filled I want your presence. I want your spirit. So are you thirsty today? Are you hungry today? Revelation 22. Revelation 22, it says this in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, anyone who desires, come and drink from the waters of life. And here is the paradox. You find that the price that you're willing to pay has already been paid. You find that he says, come and drink freely. The price is me positioning myself to receive his, his self. The price is me putting myself in the position where he can fill me with himself. If anyone is thirsty, let him come. It doesn't sound like he's saying you. 
Yep, you're good. You? Yep. No. Yep, that, that, yep. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Grace Life. Let him come to me. Let him come to me. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.